Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. This is our final week of the Advent season. Christmas is almost here. And we've been marking the time by reflecting on one of the repeated ways the Bible calls us to view the coming of Jesus, of Emmanuel, God with us, through the image of light. Have you ever noticed how many references there are in the Old Testament alone to God being our light? Here's a quick sampler. The psalmist repeatedly speaks of God as light. The Lord is my light and my salvation, for example, from Psalm 27. The prophets, more than once, frame the promise of their messages as the coming, the glory of God's light. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord shines upon you, from Isaiah 60, for example. And then, of course, we have all the manifestations of the presence of God in the Old Testament. The Lord comes to his people through a burning bush, bright clouds, and a pillar of fire. Given all of this, it really shouldn't surprise us that when God comes down in the birth of a baby named Jesus, the gospel writers describe the gift of Christmas as the dawning of the light. And not just any old light, but the light, the light of the world, the light of life, the light by which all creation came into being, the light of God which pierces the chaos of this broken world, the light the darkness cannot overcome. Today, as we move ever closer to the manger, we're going to look beyond the very first Christmas to the very last Christmas ever. Did you know that Christmas has a beginning and an end? And I'm not talking about the 24-hour period of December 25th. No, part of the church's creation and observance of the season of Advent is so that we don't just get all nostalgic for Christmas past or preoccupied by Christmas present, but remain expectant and prepared for Christmas future, when Jesus will come again and our final, greatest gift from God will be opened and unwrapped. We read about this last, greatest Christmas ever in the final book of the Bible, a book known as Revelation. Filled with talk and descriptions of angels and four horsemen, a dragon and a beast, of seals being broken open and a great lake of fire and judgment, people can really get worked up about this book. The last chapter of the story of the Bible has caused a lot of controversy and fear, dividing people in the church rather than bringing them together. This divide is so bad, some people avoid reading Revelation, whereas others read nothing else in their Bible but the book of Revelation. Hopefully today, we can bridge this divide by bringing some perspective and a healthier balance to how we understand what is often called the end times. For as we're about to hear, contrary to the doom and gloom so often associated with this book, the future that lies before us is one that is bright, merry and bright, because it is illuminated by the light that never goes out. Open your Bibles and let's listen to these excerpts from Revelation chapters 21 and 22. Today's scripture is from Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. 
And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels of the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three in the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Much of the confusion and anxiety about the book of Revelation can be cleared up by understanding that what we are reading is a mixture of several different types of writing, making up a unique genre known as apocalyptic literature. The most distinctive feature of apocalyptic writing is its reliance upon the visual. God is giving the Apostle John a vision of the future, of the end of the world as we know it, viewed not from our human, linear perspective of history, but from a divine, eternal, and therefore non-linear perspective of all things. John, in trying to capture and convey the things of heaven, of this perspective outside of space and time, is doing his best to describe what he sees with words inadequate for the task. But using familiar images and symbols, most of which are drawn from other divine encounters as recorded in the Old Testament. John is referencing back to visions that prophets like Isaiah and Daniel saw as a way of saying, what God revealed to me in this final vision was kind of like that. Here's the thing. Despite a lot of best-selling books and insistent preachers who try and tell us otherwise, the point of the book of Revelation is not to literally or chronologically decipher and break down how every verse, symbol, or number in the book lines up. For centuries, this has been a misguided stock and trade within the church, despite Jesus himself telling us repeatedly that we cannot know all the details, the when and the how of the end times. The point of the book of Revelation is not to give us a timetable or secret decoder map, but to receive, as the apostle John first did long ago, an encouraging glimpse of the life that is to come, of the world that will be, despite how things may appear now. And as we observe, 
It is an ultimate view of the future that is far more beautiful than it is terrifying. It is a vision where all our hopes are finally realized rather than forever lost. However, before we look more closely at exactly what we see here, we must first recognize why there is anything to see at all. We need to appreciate how we can know this vision will one day become our shared reality. And the answer is, everything we see, everything that will be, in all its certainty, in all its goodness, in all its glory, is because, as John repeats twice in these final two chapters, it's because of the Lamb that is the light. The Lamb that is the light. The image of the Lamb is first a reference to the Passover Lamb from the Exodus story, the blood from which a perfect spotless Lamb covered the doors of Hebrew dwellings so that the angel of death would pass over them during the last plague brought upon Egypt to set God's people free from slavery. Similarly, the sacrifice and blood of such unblemished lambs would later serve as a substitute, an atonement for the sins of Israel, to cover both their accidental and sometimes willful disobedience in their relationship with the Lord. But the image of the Lamb here is ultimately an allusion to God in Christ who came down. Jesus, who came to be the Lamb of God, willingly, sacrificially offering the blood of His life to cover the sins of all the world, to set all humanity free from our slavery to sin, evil, and death. This Lamb, the Lamb of God, is the light, the light of the world. When John talks in chapter 21, verse 23, of the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, John isn't describing two different light sources. The light, the radiance, the brightness of God is the Lamb. In the same way the moon facilitates the light of the sun to our darkened planet at night, so too Jesus as the slain and risen Lamb of God mediates the light of God's glory to us. John's vision in putting together these two images of Jesus reveals something vital for us. And here it is. That Jesus is in fact the light of the world is illuminated through Christ's work as the Lamb. In other words, the only reason our future is bright, the only reason darkness is not all we have ahead of us, is because of the birth, the life, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus coming to us is the start of Christmas, but the fullness of the gift we are given is what Jesus came to do for all the world. It's what Jesus does for us through the witness of his life, his sacrifice on the cross, the victory of his resurrection, and the blessing of Pentecost. It's what Jesus does for us that lights our way, that lights up our lives, that becomes the means, the power source for all things to be made new. What we learn from the vision given to John is not only the full power, but also the whole purpose of the light of Christ. Jesus, the Lamb that is the light, comes not just to help us see everything more clearly, revealing how things are and how they can be. Jesus, the Lamb that is the light, comes not just to make everything look better and brighter. Jesus, the Lamb that is the light, comes not just to idly shine without any purpose or direction. Jesus, the Lamb that is the light, comes to take us somewhere, to lead us into a new dynamic future of forever dwelling with God. That's the reason for the season. That's the reason for the lamb. That's the reason for the light. God comes down to us in order to bring us to himself, to bring us home to him. And what will our future and forever home with God be like? What's unveiled in this passage has been one of the primary influences of Christianity's view of heaven. And yet, despite what a many, good many Christians today perceive, 
This vision is less a site plan for heaven, showing where the walls, the streets, the buildings, the river, and vegetation will be located, and it's more of an evocative image of the great and final Christmas gift that God will deliver to us, the qualities of life that will make up the new heaven and the new earth. So looking at John's vision in this way, what qualities of life do we see? Well, first, we see that our future is more than just a return to our past. While a familiar garden is present, clearly we aren't going back to Eden. As much as we are stepping forward into the dawn of a great city, what is called the New Jerusalem. But we also quickly discover this New Jerusalem is not your typical metropolis. The hallmarks of this divine city are not the structural design and layout of the buildings, but the architecture of the people who live in that city. Humanity is no longer represented by a single couple, but by the gathering of diverse human cultures working together. And we miss the point of what we're shown if we evaluate this picture in terms of the jewels that are described or with anticipation of someday walking on actual streets of gold. The true beauty of this vision is the picture we are given of the exercise of human creativity and collaboration marked by the fruit of complete harmony and unfractured peace. No longer is anyone working for themselves apart from worshiping God. What we see here is the seamless integration rather than the separation of humanity's work and worship. All that we have and all that we are, nothing is held back or held apart for ourselves. All is offered. Everything is given for the glory of God, which in turn blesses all creation. Now this relates to something else we glimpse here, that the New Jerusalem is a welcoming city, not a gated community. The current state of this world is built more on fear than anything else. Fearing for our well-being, we build walls around our borders. We install gates around our communities to protect ourselves from the threat of harm. With all the steel bars, the fancy locks, and electronic security systems on our homes and businesses, the message is keep out rather than all are welcome. But in the future, that God is preparing for us, we will live in divine community based not on fear, but the safety and security of God's love. Inclusion rather than exclusion will be the posture of our life together in God, as even foreigners, outsiders, will be invited to come inside, streaming through gates that will never close, shall come people of every tribe and tongue, and all the nations shall find not a barrier, but access to their healing and wholeness. All of this possibility conveyed through John's vision will be realized once again because of the Lamb that is the light. In fact, John mentions something intriguing in this regard. More than once, did you catch it? John declares that in the future, there will be no more night. His vision is that there will be no more darkness because the Lamb that is the light is the light that will never go out. Now here again, is one of those places where some take the picture John offers us literally. That in the future, all of our knowledge of astronomy and all of our understanding of the celestial phenomena of creation will become irrelevant. There will be no need for the rotation of the earth in relation to the sun because nighttime will no longer exist thanks to the light of Jesus brightly shining constantly, eternally. But is this John's message? that one day all creation will be filled with the light of Christ, 
So enjoy those sunrises and sunsets while you still can, before they're no more? Does the light of Christ being all around us mean no more shadows behind us, since there will be nowhere for the darkness to go? If God is going to leave the light on all the time, if there will be no darkness at all, how will we ever sleep? I don't know about you, but I really like my sleep. If we pay closer attention, we'll realize John is not describing the elimination of physical darkness or nighttime. Notice, nowhere in this picture does John state there will be no more sun or moon. No, what John says is the new city, the new Jerusalem, will not need the light of the sun and the moon because of the brighter light of Jesus. The sun and the moon will still be there in the future, rising and setting per normal, but no longer necessary in order for us to see clearly. Think of it this way. Who needs a reading lamp when you're standing under the noonday sun? But again, what John sees, what he describes as being eliminated, is not the physical darkness of the night sky or, say, a shuttered room. Physical darkness by itself isn't evil. It's part of God's creation. The darkness of night offers many necessities and benefits to life. No, the darkness that John describes as being eliminated by the light of Christ is the darkness born of human sin. Darkness in the Bible often represents our life lived apart from God. We create and we perpetuate not a physical but a spiritual darkness whenever we choose to move away from God and seek to live by our own sources of light. It is this darkness that we create, not God, through our rebellion and disobedience towards our Creator This is where evil lives. It is this darkness of our own making where fear and shame and hopelessness take root and grow into the monsters and demons that haunt us, even as they blind us to what is true. This is the dark we should be afraid of, not the dark inside the closet of a room or under the bed or outside beneath the nighttime sky, but the darkness within, the darkness within the human heart and mind. It is this darkness we cultivate apart from the light of God that leaves us under the shadow of death. But a time is coming, John sees, when the lamp who is the light, when Christ returns in glory and completely casts away this very present darkness. When John describes there will be no night there, he is reassuring us of a future day when everything will be brought to light by the truth of Jesus Christ and there will be no place for evil to hide. Because of the grace of the everlasting light of Jesus, there will be nothing to fear anymore, as once and for all, the forgiveness of God in Christ will drive out all the darkness of sin from within our hearts and lives. And because of the love of the everlasting light of Jesus, all that will remain is the glory of the goodness of God. Goodness that will completely overtake and fill us. Goodness that will wholly reshape us into the people the community we always were meant to be, living the kind of life together we always dreamed of but never thought possible, a life John describes as without without death or mourning or crying or pain, a life in perfect, unbroken communion with God and with each other. My friends, there is a light that will never go out. It is the light of the Lamb. It is the light of Christ that will make all things new. It is the light of Jesus that shines even now before us. 
Have we ever asked ourselves why God gives John, and by extension gives us, this vision of the future? It's not just so that we can know everything is going to be okay someday. No, the Lord shares the conclusion of the story, the light at the end of the tunnel, the light that illuminates a new and everlasting beginning for all creation. The Lord shares the conclusion of the story in order to stamp eternity on our hearts and minds. We are offered this glimpse into a certain and very bright tomorrow in order to focus and shape how we occupy today. As followers of Jesus, our observance of Christmas must be more than celebrating the past, the birth of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, our celebration of Christmas must also include joyfully anticipating the future that Christ one day will unwrap for us by living expectantly, generously, and lovingly here and now. If we believe in Christmas, if we have embraced Christ by the grace of God and through the Holy Spirit, then we already possess We have already been given the light of Jesus that will cast out all fear, the light of Jesus that will eclipse all evil, the light of Jesus that will remake all creation, the light of Jesus that will never go out. All we need to do is keep looking to that light, even as we share it, share Christ with others. Beloved, it's not complicated. No matter how complex and chaotic the world might seem to us this moment, practically, it means If we are citizens of that future city, the kingdom of God, where the gates are never shut, never closed to us, it means that we imitate the character of the home God makes for us by keeping the gates of our lives wide open. It means graciously welcoming others, embracing the stranger, and being particularly sensitive to those for whom other gates are being slammed in their faces. Tangibly, it means if we are children of the light, the light of Christ that always shines and never goes out, no matter how dark it gets, it means that in contrast to the temptations and seemingly unending opportunities we have to choose selfishness, violence, and cruelty, often in the name of self-protection and defense, it means we choose instead to reflect the brightness and warmth of Christ's forgiveness and love. It means that we choose to keep the light of Jesus on in our lives, shining through our word and witness, even when the night before us is long and appears never-ending. It means choosing to let the light of Christ keep shining through all our brokenness, all our growth pains, and all the wounds we will bear from acting justly, loving mercifully, and walking humbly before our God as we serve others. The lamp that is the light shows us the way into God's heart, to a a life that truly rests in the Lord's hands. The more we allow the weight and glory of Christ to shine into the dark areas of our lives, the more of the light of Jesus we have to extend to others in their darkness. My friends, are we living based upon what we can see right in front of us? Or is our assessment of the present being shaped by the promised future that God reveals to us through John? Are we hopelessly afraid for tomorrow? Or are we living hopefully today out of the revelation we have been given that when tomorrow comes, there will be nothing more to fear? The book of Revelation was never intended as a preemptive calendar for us to chart the end of the world. The eternal perspective of John's vision enables us to see the light of Christ that never goes out, the light that purposes to shine through your life and mine and the lives of those still to come. What is revealed through the last chapter of the Bible is not so much an end as it is a new beginning. 
It's God's assurance to us, His promise, that with every move we make towards Christ, with every conversation, every encounter with Jesus, with every breath of resurrected life, the Lamb that is the life shines brighter still. With every act of justice, every expression of mercy, movement of compassion, and gesture of divine love, the lamp that is the light pushes back the darkness until the day when there will be no more night. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.